Good morning. This is the day the Lord has made. As we gather together here today, as we open our hearts to worship, let us be called to worship as we lift up our hearts, our prayers, and ourselves unto God. I would invite you to stand now as we join together in a hymn of celebration number 297, Beneath the Cross of Jesus.
Today is Scouting Sunday. It's a time in the church in which we recognize the great program of scouting for young men and women and young adults who find in it uh, principles of life and living that are based on great principles and values of faith and country. At this time, I would like to invite um, Jake Nonemaker to come forward to share a few words about our scouting program. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Well, scouting is a very big part of the church, and you know, it's not just about camping or learning how to tie knots or doing crafts or community service. You know, those are just a means to an end. You know, the end is to develop you know, adults, uh, take adult, you know, children, unformed children, and develop adults who are courageous, who are respectful, who are good citizens, who are good stewards of their church and their community and develop those leadership qualities that uh, we all aspire to, to have. So we can't do that without adult leadership, adult volunteers. So if you're an adult leader or a scout uh, volunteer, can you please raise your hand? I want to uh, recognize you and just thank you for, for your uh, contribution and your time. Thank you for everything that you do for scouting because we need good adults uh, to be examples for our children and to pass on those wonderful values that we aspire to. 
but most importantly, we also uh, can't do our scouting program without the contributions from this congregation. You know, we have fundraisers in, uh, in Alton Hall. We have our scout meetings in the classroom. You, know, you as a congregation buy tons of popcorn and Girl Scout cookies, right? <laughs> and the pastors spend weeks filling out forms and paperwork for scouting because you know, scouting is a very bureaucratic, uh, you know, organization, right? Yeah. <laughs> I know we're always cha we're always chasing them down for to sign our forms. But uh, so I wanted to just take a few minutes to thank the congregation and for your support of scouting. And it, it's very, very important that you guys continue supporting scouting. If you see a scout, you know, encourage them, thank them, you know, and I, and I really enjoy that. When we have our scouting for food program right now. So we're going through the neighborhoods distributing bags. We distributed 600 bags yesterday throughout Westlake. Uh, thank you. And, and that food is going to uh, go to Mana, and uh, you know, Mana uh, and the scouts throughout the Kino Valley are collecting food, and it, it really helps Mana. It goes a long way. Like three quarters of their uh, food is from our scouting program. So it's uh, you know, but it's nice to meet the people in the neighborhoods who have stories about when they were in scouts or they were a scout leader. It's just very inspirational, and everybody says thank you, and it just warms my heart. And I appreciate that, and the scouts appreciate being thanked and encouraged. So thank you as a congregation. We appreciate your, uh, your contribution to scouting, and uh, keep up the good work. You know, I just thought of something. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> Here it comes. <laughs> Oftentimes when we see military uniform, we say thank you for your service. What if the next time we see a scouting uniform, we say thank you for scouting? That'd be good. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, so that'd, that's my yeah, idea. Scouts, I, yeah. it, it was created right here. The next time you see a boy, a boy scout or scout, say thank you for being a scout because it makes a difference. So next time you see one in uniform, thank them, and I think that will encourage them. Thank you. Right. Yeah. Thank you. God bless. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Oh, is it, is it yes. today? Yes. Oh, come on. Oh, come on, folks. Come on, Jakey. Let's just sing happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. That was coming. <laughs> uh, let's turn to our prayer hymn. It will be found in the black hymnal, uh, number 2113, Lamb of God, as we come to prayer.
May we pray. Eternal God, we give you thanks as we gather this morning. And on this second Sunday of Lent, as we continue the journey, we ask, O oh God, that your blessing will be around us, that you will guide us straight on the way, and that by true penitence and prayer, we will continue to look at the things in our lives that we know we must give up to you to live our lives more closely in the walk of Christ and to take on to ourselves those things that will focus our lives even more clearly and more dearly to the presence of him who by the walk we make in the journey of faith, we shall surely, at the end of this time of Lent, be more faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. And so, O oh Lord, we lift our hearts and ask now in these next moments of silence that our own prayers might be lifted from our hearts to you to give unto you now, O oh Lord, those things that do prevent us from walking closer with you and asking, O oh Lord, how we can take on the things that will bring us closer to you. Hear now our prayers, O Lord, as you hear our hearts. Gracious Lord, in a moment of time, eternity still comes in and touches us. Give us the strength to be faithful. And this we affirm by the words that our Lord Jesus Christ has taught us that we might pray even as we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not unto temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. May the ushers come forward to receive this morning's gift, tithes, and offerings. <laughs> Thank you. 
presents you our chastised offerings. May you receive these and that we be faithful to use them for the ministry of your church, this community, and throughout this world. For your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Listen and receive a reading from the Word of God. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us, according to your grace and mercy. May we affirm our faith with joy and a willing spirit as we hear the scripture from St. John, chapter 19, verses 16 through 20. Then he handed him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and carrying the cross by himself, he went out to what is called the place of the skull, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, with Jesus between them. Pilate also had an inscription written and put on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, 
and it was written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. This is God's word for God's people. May we pray. Glorious God, we give you thanks and praise for the reading of your word that continues to touch hearts and lives throughout the centuries, continues to speak to your people to this day. Allow us to have ears to hear, a heart to listen, a willingness to receive that we might be transformed. In this season of Lent, we give you thanks that you meet us where we are and continue to call us forward through your Son, Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Last week, we began the season of Lent and our journey in in the season of Lent with our sermon series here on the Stations of the Cross. Gary and I, uh, several weeks ago, came up with this series based on the Stations of the Cross where we have seven sermons uh, around those 14 stations. In the first sermon, Gary preached on Jesus being condemned to death and the responses of the disciple and the crowd of people that were there that day. In this sermon, Gary called us to face our own convictions and a belief about who Jesus was and who Jesus is and asked whether we would turn away from our faith in Jesus and the pre- as the pressures mounted or would we be faithful to walk with him through the passion at any cost, be it life or death. Today we continue with the Stations of the Cross and with our series as we look through the Passion, as we take a step through the Passion, where Jesus takes up his cross. Imagine the scene leading up to this moment, if you will. Jesus just finished going through a farce of a, of a trial amongst an angry crowd of onlookers calling to have him killed. Crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate asked, you want me to have him crucified? It was a farce of a trial over the course of a night. Now here, Jesus is standing alone. The disciples at best are hiding in the shadows. At worst, they're scattered around Jerusalem or off in the wilderness, off in the countryside somewhere, cowering in fear. Jesus is badly beaten, having been whipped, having been beaten, and now having been mocked countless times throughout the night by guards and by people who observe this whole thing. Here he is standing before Pontius Pilate as the crowd watches him and he has given his sentence. In this moment, Jesus appears to be a common criminal receiving a sentence that no one should ever endure. He was given a punishment that never seemed to fit the supposed crime of which he was guilty. In this sentence of crucifixion, Crucifixion was a mode of killing that back then, even to this day, we say is one of the worst forms of punishment that human cruelty could ever devise. Upon receiving a sentence, Jesus is given over to the guards who make him walk to his own execution site while holding his cross upon his shoulders. As we think about Jesus taking up his cross, I think of a conversation that you hear oftentimes. What does it mean that Jesus took up his cross? And people have begun to debate and have been debating for years whether Jesus carried a full cross on his shoulders or whether he just carried the cross beams across his back. And the older I get, the longer I serve in ministry and the the more I work on my relationship with God, I realize that that debate isn't what's important. 
However, it seems underlying the debate, there, there generates some questions. For example, is Jesus physically able to carry a cross that would have been too heavy for him if it were the entire cross? Therefore, it has to be the crossbeam because the crossbeam would have been much more manageable and more realistic to that time for him to carry. You see, for some, the thought of Jesus carrying the full cross becomes a stumbling block in faith. And what I mean by that is, for some, it's not plausible, it's not, it's not realistic for Jesus to carry a full cross because of the weight, because of the size. Some people have said the cross was over 40 feet tall because of the size, because of his physical condition, having been beat all night, having uh, not been fed, all of the things that he was going through. And all of these questions starts to call into account the entirety of the passage. And people start to wonder, well, maybe the entire account is just made up. It's fictitious. It's not real. It's just something that we talk about. Though I think it probably was the cross beam that he wore, that he was made to bear. Unfortunately, when we talk about the cross beam, sometimes we, we tend to belittle that cross. We think, well, it was just a cross beam. In other words, it was lighter, it was smaller, it was more manageable, it was easier for Jesus to carry. And we think, oh, well, just a cross beam. But realistically, whatever the wood, whether a full cross or a cross, cross beam, it's not the issue. It doesn't necessarily matter whether it was the full cross or the cross beam, but what does matter is that Jesus was made to carry a cross at all. The fact that he was made to carry that which he would be crucified upon. You see, by taking up his cross, so I think two things happen here. The first is when the cross is placed upon Jesus' body, it begins to bring to completion the prayer that was preached on last week, that was shared last week, and it's the prayer that he prayed in the garden when Jesus says, take this cup from me, but not my will, let your will be done. And second, by taking up the cross, we begin to understand the fulfillment of God's promise of salvation for this world. You see, first, in Jesus' prayer, we can relate to the anguish with which he prayed that night in the garden. For Jesus is fully human, would not have favored death, let alone a painful death, any more than the rest of us would. When we look at our lives and when we see times of troubles or, or trying times or insurmountable odds or all of these difficult situations, have we not all prayed a similar prayer? God, let there be a different outcome. <laughs> God, let something change. Please don't let this be the way that it appears to be. And we cry out to God for something different. Well, I think Jesus' prayer in the garden was similar. I believe that Jesus would love another way out. He would love to continue his ministry here on earth and his message to continue. He knew that there were still lives to touch, people to be healed, messages to be shared, the good news to share with people. He wanted to continue his ministry this side of the grave. I don't think he was all that excited about giving up his life at that moment. The reality of the situation came. And I believe I, I would not be the least bit, I wouldn't question the least bit if as they put the cross upon his shoulders, being a good and faithful Jew, the, the narrative of Abraham came to Jesus' mind. You see, because in that moment, at that time, Abraham was promised a son, Isaac. And when Isaac was born and Isaac was old enough, God said, I want you to sacrifice your son, Abraham. And Abraham gave to Isaac the wood, and they went up together on the mountain. And Isaac carried the wood to the place where he was to be killed. 
and he laid down the wood, and as he was laid on that altar, as he was laid there, and Abraham lifted the knife, a ram was offered in the thicket. Well, here in this moment, Isaac was saved from death. And I believe it is, and I wouldn't doubt in the least, that as Jesus had that cross beam on, as he prayed that prayer, take this cup from me, he was praying for another way out. But there was no ram to come. The lamb was to be sacrificed. Yet throughout the Gospels, Jesus showed unwavering obedience and faithfulness to God in every situation. He never cowers from adversity. And he always gives God the glory in every situation. He gives his Father all of the glory. He says, I and my Father are one. You see, Jesus knew that this time would be no different. As he has the cross upon his back, he would be obedient to his call and faithful to walk with God knowing that through, the cross, that through the cross upon his back, upon his shoulders, God would be glorified and that glory would shine for all to see. For as he had the cross upon his back, he was led to Golgotha, a place outside the city of Jerusalem, outside of the walls. And there at Golgotha, people from everywhere, from within the city walls would see that cross. Travelers upon the road from Jerusalem going out and those coming in from all over to celebrate a Passover would see this cross. God's glory would be on full display by the cross upon Jesus' back. And it's a glory that continues to shine 2,000 years later. And through the bearing, the weight of the cross as fully divine, Jesus alone was able to bear the weight of the cross and all of what that meant. You see, because for on that cross, Jesus was made to bear the weight of sin for all eternity. And I always joke around saying sin is a four-letter word in Methodism. But realistically, the cross bore the weight of sin for all the world. As Jesus shared in the synoptics in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, or Matthew, Mark, and Luke, I came to fulfill, not abolish the law. It was by bearing the weight of the cross on his shoulders that the burdens of the law were lifted. You see, the law was given to Moses, and he, God said, If I will be your God, you will be my people, if you keep my commandments, if you keep my law. But the law was insufficient, it wasn't able to bridge a gap, there was something missing. People tried, but there was disobedience and there was sin and a separation from God. So by fulfilling the law, the spirit of the law, Jesus offered to people a new relationship to God. By fulfilling that which the law asked of people, that new relationship was given. By taking up a cross, Jesus paved a way for a new life for those who believed and who received. But as I read the passage of Jesus taking up his cross, we know that that is not for him alone. The burden of taking up the cross is not Jesus' alone. And what I mean by that, when, we, when Jesus took up his cross, he set for us a perfect example of what it means to be a disciple, to follow in his footstep, to go where he goes, to say what he says, to share in the life that he lived and no, we're not given that sentence of crucifixion. We're not going to be asked to hang on a cross on Westlake Boulevard. But we know that we're continuously called to take up our cross. Scripture says, take up your cross and follow me to follow Jesus. Amen. But when we take up a cross and we follow Jesus, 
There's a lot of discussion about what that looks like and what does that mean and how are we to take up our cross. Now, we could take it literally to physically put a cross upon our back as Arthur Blessett did. If you're not familiar, Arthur Blessett was a traveling, is a traveling preacher who carries his cross the world over. He started his ministry in the early 1960s on Sunset Strip by opening up a coffee shop. And in that coffee shop, he placed a cross upon the wall. By the mid-60s, he began to take the cross down, put it on, upon his shoulder, and walk around downtown L.A. and talking to everyone he would meet. It didn't matter your walk of life. It didn't matter where you're from. He would talk to people and share with them the good news and the message of the cross. By 1968, Arthur began carrying that cross. Or, excuse me, by Christmas 1969, Arthur had a call to take that cross even further. On Christmas morning, 1969, with cross upon his back, Arthur set out from Los Angeles to walk to Washington, D.C., over a 3,000-mile journey with a cross upon his back. In August two, 1971, two years later, he made his first international walk in war-torn Northern, uh, war Northern Ireland in Belfast. He walked with a cross upon his back. Arthur carried the cross to every part of the world, including the war-torn countries. And in his walks, he prays for peace, and he prays for the gospel, and he shares with all he meets. During his walks, he's had opportunity to meet religious and world leaders the world over. He's met with George W. Bush, with Muammar Gaddafi, with Pope John Paul II, with Billy Graham, even with George, uh, Gary Dickey. <laughs> Gary remembers meeting him in that coffee shop back in the early 60s. Over the course of his life, he has been arrested over 24 times. He's completed his task of each, re reaching every nation, every major island group on Jan June 7th, 2008. Yet his call continues and his desire still continues. He's in his late 80s, early 90s now. He has little wheels on his cross, but he continues to walk and to carry the burden of the cross. Blessed has walked 41,552 miles with a cross upon his back. He's been to 323 countries, island groups, and territories, 54 of which were in open war at the time of going. He's crossed every ocean, walked on every continent, including Antarctica, and he continues to walk to this day. But, you know, I believe that the need to take up our cross looks different for each of us. I don't know if God is telling you to put a cross on your back, but I do believe that that burden to take up a cross does still apply and relate to our lives to this day. For first, it comes about the burdens that we bear. You know, you've heard people say it before. I guess this is my burden. I guess this is my cross to bear. We all have burdens that we go through life with, things that weigh upon our shoulder, situations, um, challenges, hurts, all of those things that weigh upon our, our shoulders that we carry with us every step of our lives all throughout life. But I believe if we're to follow Jesus' example of taking up our cross, I don't believe that those burdens become an excuse for keeping us from experiencing all that God has for our lives. You see, those burdens don't separate us from God. They're to call us closer to and draw us closer to God and to that relationship. Amen. Have you ever noticed that sometimes those burdens can become a focal point in our lives? 
where we take these burdens and we take this cross and we put it on display for all of the world to see, woe is me, look at the cross that I am made to bear. Look at my burdens that I bring. And we put the focus on us and we take the focus off of God. Rather, when we learn to bear the burdens of the cross, we learn to rely upon God's strength and God's provision in those burdens sometimes. I'm reminded of that cartoon. It's been around for years, but it's started to circulate again. It's of the individual carrying a cross upon their back, and they're getting weighed down, and they're getting tired. So they start to trim off the edge here, trim off the sides, the back, cut it down to size to make it more manageable. They get to a large chasm, and they realize that cross is no longer big enough to cross the chasm. You know, the joy of carrying the cross and, and bearing these burdens is that we know we never need to carry it alone. For God not only provides for our burdens, but God provides those who walk with us. It's called relationship. It's called fellowship. We walk together to help bear those burdens, just like Simon the Cyrene bent down and helped Jesus carry that cross that day. But, you know, I think even more important, to take up our cross becomes learning to die to our sinful nature in order that God might be glorified in and through you and through me. You see, to, to take up our cross is the message of the good news. Repent, turn away from sin and back to God because the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is here and now. And by dying to our sinful nature and putting our focus on God's desires, away from our own desires that separate us from God, we usher in the kingdom of heaven today, here and now, in this place. When we let go of a desire to sin in order to follow God more closely, we begin to understand what John Wesley was talking about when we move on to perfection. We never experience perfection this side of the grave, but we move on to perfection. That's what we call sanctification. We continue to strive to be more Christ-like, to continue to strive to grow closer to God that we sin less today than we did yesterday. To bear our cross, to take up our crosses, to die to self in order that God might be glorified to learn faithful obedience, discipleship, that God will be glorified. You know, as we turn to God, we realize that that cross that we bear, that burden that's upon our back, might not be as big as we think it is. That cross might not be as great as we once thought, where we're weighed down and weighed down. However, no matter the size of the cross, the cost is still the same. Because it costs you everything, even your life. On this second Sunday of Advent, as we continue the Lenten journey, as we continue to walk with Christ in the passion, we're called to take up our cross, to carry the burden, to walk the steps to Golgotha, to the place of the skull, in order that God's glory may shine through you that we take up our cross to follow Jesus even unto death. What a blessing. What a joy, even in the hurt, even in the pain. You know, to take up the cross isn't always easy, but the reward comes in knowing that you'll never carry it alone. May we pray. Glorious God, we give you thanks and praise. That on this second Sunday of Advent, you continue to call us forward in our relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ, our Savior.
that in him we learn to walk by faith, that in him we learn to take up a cross, that in him we learn obedience and true discipleship. God, in the season of Lent, you've called us to give up of ourselves, to give up those things which we give up. But in our giving, may we also receive your spirit, your presence. May we receive a blessing as we draw closer to you. Dear Lord, help us to take up our crosses daily, to walk faithfully in you, that your light will shine before men, that your glory will shine in this world, that we will be and bring your word to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of this world. And it's through him and in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to invite you to stand as we join in hymn 288. Were you there? We'll sing verses 1, 2, and 5.